hospital, but actually utilized higher sense, senses of awareness at that time, you know. And of course, there are graduations in this kind of awareness where at, at one level you may be able to look through the walls, you know. At, at another level you may uh, just see, see more clearly, you can see the atoms on the ground moving you can see the different different layers if you like it's like you're putting on different glasses yes yes. and then you can sort of put on a telescope or a microscope or just like yes yes you got to accentuate the positive You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So wonderful to be with you today. I have the wonderful and fantastic Jürgen Zeeber, yeah. who uh, we're going to learn all about today and we're going to discuss what happens when you die. Let me tell you a little bit. Welcome to the show, Jürgen. Let Hello. Me tell you. Hello, Karen. Let me tell you a little bit about Jürgen. Jürgen has been meditating since the 70s and as a consequence spontaneously left his body. He has spent many hundreds of hours in non-physical environments in clear, full waking consciousness, which he chronicles in his diaries. Well, he chronicled in your diaries. You wrote it all down. We're going to discuss this. The results being published in his book. His books, Multidimensional Man in 2008 and followed up book, Vistas of Infinity in 2015, which delves deeper into the phenomena of what we may encounter when we leave our earthly bodies. Now, I've been reading Vistas of Infinity. He sent it to me and I've just started reading it and I'm absolutely wrapped. I'm only about 100 pages into the book and in the first half of the book you explore the lower levels of the astral plane and so then you obviously move up as you get further into the book is that right yes it's about right i mean the the main thing was i um, talked about the more unusual sides of um, the astral or the afterlife states, which you don't hear a lot about uh, through mediums, because when mediums communicate with, uh, with people, they usually relate it uh, on a personal level. Mine is more on a general observational level, you know, which is not related to individuals. And, and the idea behind my books is to, to create a map an overall picture of the conditions and they relate to the psychological aspects of the afterlife state, how, how our perception is affected, how it's changed, how our life, um, what, what happens, you know, and all these sort of phenomena which, uh, which you don't very often hear about, you know, and, and that's what uh, Visas of Infinity in particular is about. But you're... Yeah. Your research is extensive and wonderful and beautiful. Oh, it's just amazing. I actually, when I read 
you know, works like yours and hear your life journey. I'm amazed at how much information is actually available to us in this dimension, knowing that this dimension is a part of the lower worlds. You know, I hate to use hierarchy, but let's call it denser worlds because mm. we have this, um, well, non-ability to have this awareness of who we really are. Mm. And, mm. Um, and then when I read works like yours, I'm amazed at how much awareness you're, you've been given, you know, like, mm. I, and, then that, and then you're giving that awareness to us as we read your work. And it's like, oh, wow, we've been allowed to have this awareness because I realised that, you know, having this singular focus <clears throat> in this dimension is part of the, you know, the play here, the Leela, mm. the experience. Yeah. So, yes. um Yes, the, the problem is, of course, because we are totally reliant on our physical senses here, you know, and we take, we, we, everything we take in, we think that's the only reality because we are not used to anything else. The only time we have access is when we go to sleep, but then we get so used to the idea that it's only a dream, you know, but this is actually what nature provides for us. To as a stepping stone or as a gateway into the non-physical reality. Uh, but of course, a lot of it is guided or tinted by our subconscious mind of what we experience. So we don't get a clear picture. We get a, we get a, a washed out picture or a, a mixed perception of our uh, fantasy world and our expectations and so on mixed with occasional glimpses of the afterlife state. <clears throat> the difference is when we become fully awake in this state, which is very often described as a lucid dream, then we can uh, filter out the things which come from our subconscious mind and then enter into the alternate reality. The interesting thing is, of course, this reality becomes hyper-lucid, you know, not just, sometimes it's not just that we wake up in our dream state, so to speak, but we are hyper-awake, we are more clear over there than we are in this world. So there's mm. an, an additional awaking process which allows us a, a super-lucid state of mind. Mm. Um, there's a distinction we have to make between lucid dreaming and out-of-body experience, you know, because lucid dreaming is still, you're still aware um, in your dream, you still have the fantasy element added to the mix, but in the true out-of-body state, you are um, uh, in, in an alternate uh, reality, which is stripped of these fantasy individual fantasy aspects. Okay, okay, and okay. I, I just want to. I just want to mention to the people that are watching that Cyrus Kirkpatrick is going to join us in about forty minutes yeah. to join the conversation because Cyrus, as people who've been watching my shows, knows that he's an extensive astral traveler as well. But just getting back to, um, he actually posted an article on this on his little Facebook group uh, mm -hmm. about lucid dreaming versus astral travel so oh, astral yeah. reality as i'm uh, understanding it now as i'm listening to you is a shared co-creative reality because yes. when i'm reading your work what i'm seeing is my guide said to me a long time ago 
I'm making all of it up. When I was asking, when I was seeing people's past lives and stuff and I was having all this psychic phenomena, I was asking them, am I making this up? Am I making this up? And they kept saying to me, Karen, you're making all of it up. You're making up that, you know, you're Karen and that you're blonde and that you're this age and that you're doing this. You're making all of it up. And they kept repeating this to me constantly. And so as I read your work, what I realize is we're making it up in all these different dimensions and levels of experiences and levels and different frequencies and different realms and physical realms or what we perceive as physical. And then, um, so a lucid dream is, a, is, is something that we're making up based on our subconscious sort of programmed thought forms. And it's our little play that we're playing in. Mm. Whereas a, an astral experience is a shared co-creative experience. Is, would that be more a description of it? Yeah. I, I mean, the easiest way to describe it, the astral experience is, is almost identical to what we experience here, like the physical world, you know, but it's on a different vibratory level. So it's on a different yeah. dimension. But but the experience is is very very similar to what we experience here now. It's a co-creation, like yeah, we're it, co-creating. Yes, so, yeah. People may build houses over there, uh, the same as we do here. So the the reality, the perception of reality, is very very similar to our physical perception of reality here. You know, whereas in a lucid dream, we are projecting things from our subconscious mind and manifesting it around us. It's, a, it's a more like a sort of a, a fantasy world which other people on the astral plane have no access to, you know. But it's, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that because uh, sometimes people can project aspects into the astral world, you know, and there's, there's another big subject. There are so many subjects or sub-aspects to the astral world. Each one of could be a whole book written about, you know, mm-hmm. like, for example, uh, on this level, we can change our, our we, we change our shape, we change, we, we age, you know, we have make, makeovers, go to the hairdresser. The same thing is on the astral uh, level, but much, much more dramatic. Not only can we uh, change our appearance, but we can change, um, you know, totally how we look, you know, uh, or we can change from, for example, from a person into an animal if we in- put our intent to it. I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I, ooh, I've got so much to say. Okay, so, but depending on the level of awareness and consciousness. So when we die, let's say when we die, we have these infinite, according to you, infinite levels of experiences that we can play in. Um, and some which we perceive as physical and some which are sort of more spiritual, depending on the quality of frequency or vibration, the denseness yeah. of vibration. So, in the beginning of your book, Vistas uh, of Infinity, you're exploring those denser realms, you know, astral mm. realms, but, mm. um, you know, we, we call them astral realms, but those mm. people mm. that are living in those realms, it's their reality, and we are the astral yeah. realm, right? Yes, we are sort of, uh, yeah, we are in a totally different dimension. Yeah, we so are it's, it's to- their reality, mm. Mm. And, yes. and then yes. some of them are 
like us, completely convinced that this is all there is, that that's all there is, that's the reality. And then they're sort of stuck in their misery, in their miserable thoughts, and they don't know how to get out of it. Look, reading this, you know, reading you experiencing these people and then you in your astral body are trying to help them be a bit more positive and raise their vibration so that they can get out of this experience that they're having. Mm. I just keep thinking of this is what I do with my clients like on a daily basis, people believing their stressful thoughts and then you try and help them raise their frequency, raise their consciousness and get them out of this experience because we're experiencing what we're believing to be true. Yes. I mean, it's not necessarily quite as dramatic. Basically, what I would say, when, when normal people die, basically they experience more of the same of what they experience here, you know, because that's where their habitual uh, mind is sort of focused on, you know. They, mm. And that's why, why I found uh, some people are not even aware that they are dead. For example, I had an, mm. I had an experience with a friend of my wife's husband mm. who died of cancer, and, um, and I met him when I was out of body, and I said, oh, hi, Brian. Uh, Nice to see you. You know, he said, yes, I I hear you have been very ill. He said, yes, but I feel a lot better now. You know, I'm getting over it. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a bit of a slog, you know, but I'm, I'm getting better now. And so and he was making a gradual recovery rather than a dramatic because his mind was still sort of conditioned. And then he simply dismissed the subject and started talking about cars because that was the only thing we had in common (laughs) when he was still alive. (laughs) And so his environment was very, very physical and he had no idea that anything has changed. So he was still getting used to the the idea of of his death. If I had told him, he wouldn't have believed me what I had said, you know. And this is the level... This is a level of ignorance generally with a large part of the population because they can't imagine or they have no preconce no 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 uh, idea of the afterlife state um, they they may not be aware that they have died yeah, you know I saw that in a movie once, and I just didn't think that that would could be possible mm-hmm. um, I think it was called the others. Uh, with Nicole Kidman. Yes, yes, it's a really good film, actually. Yeah. Very, very accurate example because and she I thought just thought it was Hollywood time. nonsense. Like, how could yeah. that? How could you not know you're dead? But yeah. um, yes, it, as it, you're speaking, I'm because 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 life is a continuum. Like, just when we're asleep, life doesn't cease to continue. Like, life is mm. continuing. Mm. So. When we're asleep, we're continuing a life in another mm. dimension or maybe many lives. And mm. um, just because you cease to continue the life in this reality, you're still living one in another reality. So there's, mm. so I'm just thinking how someone could not know they're dead. Because mm. there's this continuum, they don't mm. actually realize that part of that has stopped because it's just been this mm. continuum of, mm. of living. So that's yeah. how they no, they don't understand they're dead. Is that is that how it would be? Yes. Also, there's a, a change in consciousness. For example, we take uh, it is almost as 
our critical faculty has changed. You know, we, we, we very quickly get used to phenomena which we wouldn't find uh, acceptable on this level. For example, let's say on the next level, we want to have a cup of tea and suddenly without going to the cat, putting the kettle on and doing it, we suddenly have a cup of tea. When this happens on the astral level, we, we, we just don't question it. We take it as a, as a given that this is a natural thing, the way things should happen. You know, yeah. so, so we make a perceptual jump right. very naturally. And the things which you think, hang on a minute, that is really odd. You sh that should give you a dis distinct idea that you're not, that's, that's not real or not physical. But we don't. We, we become less critical. We just accept it as our new given reality. Is, like is, a that, lot of is that because we join the collective consciousness of that experience or that dimension? Like when we're in, like we're in a collective experience now and we mm. have these collective agreements that, yes. um, you know, when you touch the stove, it's hot and, you know, something tastes, mm. you know, we, everything's like a collective mm. agreement, isn't it? Mm. So yeah, we have yes. a shared reality where it's sort of, even though we, even though each thing we experience is different because what I perceive is different to what you perceive, mm, they're in mm. a shared reality because we have yes. these collective agreements. So yes, that we don't yes. question. Mm, that's right. But I mean, of course, people like you and me and people who are more aware of the different states of consciousness they're they're very aware that they had a previous life and that this right. this is a new life right. and and then <clears throat> and the people <clears throat> the people who communicate through mediums you know they're very well aware that they have moved on they're very well aware that they uh the the relatives are on a physical level still you know and um, i don't know whether you have seen the sixth sense with yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a typical. That's a typical example. Um, uh, the 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 main actor. What was his name? Um, Bruce Willis. All oh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He 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 didn't peg that he was dead. Yeah. You know? Now you've just so, done so spoiled he... the end. <laughs> that's that's the that's the um, cruncher at the end. Yeah. What do you call yeah, it? Yeah. The twist at the end yes yeah so he's dead and he doesn't he doesn't know and he's living his life as if yeah i know mm. it's that that's brilliant mm. i love that movie it's a brilliant mm. movie mm. and i love the message yes. in the movie too because the little boy who's so scared you know mm. realizes that there's nothing to be scared of they're just people mm. crying out for help you know they might seem mm. scary to him because they're living a different reality but they're just mm. people that are just asking for his help mm. yeah so mm. Mm. and again yes. spoiler alert mm. Mm. <laughs> we just yes. ruined the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it <laughs> yeah. so but, there's some movies actually which are very accurate you know which we can uh, uh, take as a learning tool to get a little bit of a better understanding the others is one of them which i yeah. found that's really quite good yeah. uh, uh, somebody who have, was advising the film director obviously had a great insight. So was the sixth sense, you know. So th these are quite good examples of of what uh, the reality is like, you know. Well, what the reality can be like, because I know with Cyrus, and we'll it discuss can, this. Can be it, like, you know, yeah. there are a lot of people talking about life after death, near death experience, what happens when you die, mm -hmm. mediums, people that have had near death experiences. I've ex spoken to many who do go to a spiritual world or out mm -hmm. of body travelers 
that is very blissful, very beautiful, mm-hmm. and obviously you've experienced those realms as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so there's this perception that when you die, there's this one place called heaven. It's one place that we all go to. Mm-hmm. And really what you're um, no, 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 no. To explore is that we are the creators of our reality and this is one, but one reality that we are Mm co-creating. And when we leave this reality, we're still co-create, we're still creating our reality. And so Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. brings up this heaven and hell experience that some people have, um, Mm -hmm. that they can go to. Mm -hmm. I, my ex-husband was a Hare Krishna and uh, mm-hmm. He read in the book Conversation with God, all religion is based in fear. And he said, all but mine, you know, my religion is not based in fear. Mm-hmm. And then we went to a Hare mm-hmm. Krishna event and they were playing out all their plays like a nativity play at Christmas. They were doing the plays from the books. And he had this realisation that all of it was based in fear. And then we went home and discussed it and he said, you know, depending on your sin in this life, you go to different hells, but they're not just, there's not just one hell. There are many different hell planets, he said. This is there. And on each planet, there's a different punishment. And um, so very much there were these rules and regulations you have to follow or you're going to go to this hell planet. And, be part- <clears throat> and so I, I was reminded of that as I was reading these astral experiences that you experienced in the denser realms of these people that were yes. uh, creating yes. a reality based on their negative thoughts and their thoughts of guilt and fear and mm. resentment mm. and mm. hatred. They were creating these sort of hideous experiences mm. based mm. on these thoughts. Do you yes. Want to talk about that. Yes. I mean, the, uh, I, I wouldn't, personally call it planets uh, no. but it's a, it's a it's a metaphor of course you know he used because what they do they, these are really quite big environments big yeah. worlds yeah. we then fall into you know in in business of infinity i described the the uh, the, the waiter i mentioned one of the episodes yeah. who came of a very dark place uh, which was uh, an endless place he couldn't no matter how far he walked, he could never get out of it because the whole environment was just a reflection of his state of consciousness. And mm-hmm. there was no getting away from it un- until he changed his state of consciousness. And the guide who took him out of it uh, helped him to open up his consciousness. Mm. And this, this seemed to be a very lengthy process. But as he was telling me it, it all happened in a flash. I, I perceive the whole story. Uh, just like a download, just a... Just, yeah, yeah. J- just very quickly. And when I wrote it down, it took me hours yeah. to write it down yeah. in a sequential way, which made sense. Yeah. And, th- and this is a curious phenomena of, uh, of the, the reality as it is experienced. For some people, <clears throat> when, when they get to these hellish realms, that may feel like a century. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the observer who actually sees them, there's just a short time or just one event. But this is where, where the time element totally collapses, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and 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 the rea- and the world which we constructed here out of a physical planet suddenly becomes 
an infinite environment <clears throat> which can change from one state into another very, very quickly, you know. And this is what we down here on Earth find so difficult to, to understand, you know, how reality can shift, how the environments, how the worlds can shift. And yet um, we, we think, oh, where's all the space? You know, what, what is taking place? How can this be? But it's all, it's all, these are all states of consciousness. And that is, that is so difficult to comprehend from our earthly perspective, you know. But it all makes total sense once we step into the world and become familiar with it yeah. and, then find, and, and then find ways <clears throat> to navigate this place, you know. Well, and, yeah. I mean, in, <clears throat> you know, my mandate in this lifetime is to will activate and support and help the new world teachers, but also to teach how we create our reality. You know, I call it deliberate creation. And we perceive this reality through how we feel. So once we change our feelings, we're having a different reality. We're completely experiencing a different reality. So I do it with, you know, friends, family, clients all the time. They'll be in this state of anxiety where the world looks dark and everything is wrong and nothing's going right and I hate my life and woes me. And then in an instant, you know, you can show them how to look at it differently and then everything's sunny again and then telephone calls start happening and job offers come in and just things Mm -hmm. can change Mm -hmm. on the head of a pin. It, you know, like you can shift your reality. Yes, 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 absolutely true. Yeah. yeah my, wife, my wife is a counsellor. She, she yeah. works on this sort of level, you know, to shift people's perception, yeah. to look at mm-hmm. things, to lose their fears and all these sort of things. What you just said, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's really <clears throat> everything is in the mind, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we have this consensus here that it's a... That is out there. It's a reality. It's out there. Exactly. You know? And so we draw the experiences, the external experiences, towards us because of our state of mind. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Look, I've written down a whole lot of things. <laughs> One thing. Okay. What happens when we die? One could define. This was you talking to your mother, I think, on an astral world. One could define the afterlife in one sentence. Your mother said, "The place." you will live in after you die is a manifestation of your inner life, she said. So that's what you were saying. And then um, what else did I write? You were talking about uh, here um, afterlife states are numerous, as numerous as human beings and as complex. The most important thing we will have to... uh, recess and probably shake off is a widely held belief that our afterlife will magically change everything and reset all our parameters individual reports by near-death experiences and channelers mediums are very specific and will almost certainly never apply to ourselves some of the medium reports i found were very confirmative of what i've experienced Uh, there is still a rather romantic view that at the end of our life, our suffering will come to an end and we will live in an internal, in internal peace. Rest in Mm. peace is a fallacy which has been implicated in us from an early childhood, mainly as a result of ignorance of our 
inability to look beyond our, the great curtain. When people pro proclaim at funeral services, well, at least now he or she is at peace. Mostly this is not the case unless the deceased was already at peace at the time of death. What in fact happens is that nothing changes and at the same time, everything changes in some way. Mm. Um, this is something that Cyrus harps on about all the time too. He gets really angry when people talk about like everyone's going to heaven and angels and harps are playing and it's all beautiful and lush. And, but, uh, and many religious doctrine have talked about the level of your consciousness at death determines what happens when you die, you know, like your yeah. afterlife yeah. experience. But at the same time, your higher self is always, you know, in an afterlife yeah. experience. And yes, it's always there around you all the time. Yeah, yes. th that aspect of you that is always in that bliss and unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. just an aspect of you that's experiencing this life and then those yes. other lives mm -hmm. Um, yes. But I guess that's a quality of awareness, isn't it? Yes, it's. Um, it's. A, I, I always refer to it as our identification, what we identify with. You know, that becomes our our life. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when when you do regular meditation, you you shift away from the negative aspect and the, the love aspect, the positive aspect becomes more predominant. Yeah. So, so then you, uh, your life changes, first of all, you know, and then you also move astrally, for example, if you die into, into much more pleasant environment, environments, you know, until you have, um, uh, until the identification with the, the emotional aspects or the individual aspects sort of change, changes altogether and you suddenly um, become aware of the bliss aspect. And that is where many people uh, get the experience of homecoming. Yeah. Because that's where they, where they feel they really, really belong, their true self. Yeah. And, and the experience is, oh, oh, it feels like home. This is where I belong. Yeah. You know, there, there's no outside world anymore. Everything is, is right here. Everything is beautiful. Everything is safe and secure and is blissful. Mm. And this when we, when we unite with our true self, our higher self. And then, of course, when we get into this kind of state of mind, our, our reality is totally transformed. Then we can mm. enter, enter worlds which are simply, which we are unable to even find words for. Imagine. You know? And I know that you've been to a lot of those worlds and you've got these videos on YouTube of some of your art because you're an artist, didn't say that in your bio. Um, and you, you, yeah, you've tried to sort of show these vistas of these beautiful, glistening, sparkling, crystal-like worlds <laughs> that we can't even imagine. But, you know, as I think about people that are talking about how beautiful heaven is, especially near-death experiences, mm. as this information is flooding our internet, and it is, mm. Mm. people that are dying, uh, and, which is everybody, <laughs> it'll be everybody, kind of are given this vista. And so they can... It's sort of like they're given it so that they can go there. Do you know what I mean? Because if, if we're creating our reality and we believe that heaven is this lofty place, 
then if we believe that, because that's how we create our reality, then that's where we'll go when yes. we... And it's, yeah, and it's actually quite a simple step, really, if you, if you change our attitude. And, and the simple thing is basically uh, nurturing love. Yeah. Okay? Love is a, is a bedrock of reality. There's no getting away from it. <laughs> if, we, if we focus on that you know, in our daily action and our life and sort of a little bit more forgiving when, uh, when we are hard done by and, and, and always remember the hard aspect of everything and, and also realize that the people we meet in, 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 in our life, they are coming from the same place. Mm -hmm. So we are all really related, you know, mm -hmm. and then work with, with this feeling coming from the heart, talking with the heart, thinking with the heart, acting with the heart. It's not a difficult route to take. You know, we are just so hung up on our habits, on our addictions, oh, you know, yeah. that we find it so hard. Habits are so easy to form. I just watch myself yeah. forming patterns, these patterns. Yeah. You talk about that too in the book, how we can kind of create a pattern uh, and then just sort of get locked into it. Um, mm -hmm. I once read a book uh, called oh don't ask me what the name was but the story in the book was about this monastery and the monk used to come down and sit at the same place every day for breakfast and get the same plate and the same mug and he just started to create and the head of the the monk you know the guru in the monastery smashed his favorite mug and so he came down to breakfast he's like where's my mug where's my mug and it was just talking about how you've got to shake yourself out of these habits, you know, and he was just demonstrating that you're kind of in this hypnosis of being remote controlled, you know, by these habits that we have. And um, we get so locked into a reality like that. Yes, yes. I think a successful life is a, consists of a continuous stream of letting go, you yeah. know, because once you are able to do that, don't hang on to things, you're, you're entering the reality of the present moment. Right. You know, and that, that's where the happiness lies. Yeah. You know? and, and that's where we always have to come back to it. You know, the, the moment is the doorway to, to uh, the, the reality of what persists, you know. And that's difficult. That's why I, I always advocate meditation because that allows us to break the mold and take control of it, you know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I want to get into a couple of your experiences in the book. I wanted you to talk about, I'm just putting down, because I've taken all these excerpts out of the book, like I could just read the whole book really. What makes out-of-body experiences so immensely powerful is the fact that wakeful awareness is no longer tied to the physical body. And with this awareness liberated and no longer burdened by the running of our heavy physical machinery, it can be placed at any point in time and space in the past or in a completely different dimensional level. We can live an alternative life with the same or even greater level of awareness or um, than our physical life has to offer, all the time we are still who we are, uh, retaining our full sense of identity. There is no limit to what, that, to what this me can experience. 
the place it can visit without attachment to the physical body. Mm. We enter a world of continuity. I can't say that word. I said it a million times before. Where no ends are in sight, no limits in a place and soon find that we can visit and speak to family members who have died before and there will not be a shadow of doubt that we are speaking to the actual person we have loved and known all the while knowing that our body is still in the place where we left it, either on the couch or in bed. Um, so you did this with your mum. You went and saw your mum and she yeah. was this young girl and you were thinking, so strange to be with mum as a young girl because, you know, I don't remember her ever as a young girl. because That's you know, right, yes. yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, it was, uh, I think, the must have been her wicked sense of humor but she <laughs> she uh, she came into my uh when i was out of body she she approached me with my aunt and they were like teenagers in in a very fashionable teenage dress but i recognized her despite her incredible disguise because it was her what i call the muttiness the mumness of her. The Mutti, you know, oh, Mutti, yeah, German Mutti mother, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I called her Mutti, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 essential, the essential her just was still abundantly there. Yeah. Know. No matter what disguise she had chosen, when I hugged her, it was her, the way I always remembered her, you know, that, that distinctive feeling just doesn't get lost. And um, this is a subject which came up with Cyrus, you know. Cyrus gets uh, gets very angry when people uh, talk about getting, uh, dissolving into nothingness, you know, which <laughs> yes, is absurd. <laughs> we, we don't dissolve. And well, it's, you it's can if you want to, if that's what you do. <laughs> I mean, like, if that's what you want to go, if that's, you know, that's what you, you can. But, but, but we, we don't disappear. That's mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Nothing in reality ever disappears. Yeah. People may not be able to see it, you know, but, uh, but it, it just doesn't work. You know, reality hasn't got a mechanic in place where things disappear f forever. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big, big concept we have to get used to because, um, uh, this, and also, it's very, very difficult to explain, you know. Yeah, because yeah, uh, we're so identified in this reality. Um, yeah, so people have talked about that meanness is our um, soul stamp, our soul identity, where it's recognisable, even when we're wearing a different body. Like your mother was a young girl, but you could have seen her as a young boy or a child. Yeah. Like when you went, yeah. you saw your dad who had re reincarnated, and mm, um, yes, and he was a young Russian boy. He was a boy. Yeah. could have been a girl, I yes. guess. And yeah. did yes. you have that same uh, recognition of the muttiness? You know, the that sort of yes. That w when you were witnessing him as a young boy in another yes. life, I, I I instantly recognized him. And the curious thing was, um, on a on his in his mind, he was riding the bicycle he stopped in this farmyard and and he was thinking and he i could read his thought and he's he was thinking jürgen you know so on a subconscious level he he still recognized me although um 
I was still 50 years older from the, or 60 years older from the last time we, he saw me. You know. But hang on, hang on, hang on. You were in your astral form. I, yes. So you were looking for your father in the astral realm and yes. you found him incarnated into an earth mm. realm. Mm. I don't know what time frame it was. Was it a future past? No, it was, um, I think, around about uh, 2009 or so. Right. At that time, he was just uh, about uh, 10, 10, 11 years old. So it was this time frame. He had reincarnated. Yeah, yes. Into this. yes. So you could, at that time, if you wanted to, go to that place in Russia and meet yeah. your physical yes. body, could meet his physical body. Yes. Yes, uh, oh, that's a, that's a good, good point, really, because I actually use Google Earth and, right. and, and, and try to find, I had a vague idea of the locality, you know, it was in, in somewhere in, in, in eastern Russia, but not too far from western Russia, it was somehow in the middle. I had, I had a picture of where it would be, so I used Google Earth and tried to zoom in and see if there was any landmark I could recognize, yeah. you know. But, but it, didn't, it wasn't very successful. The experience was relatively short, you know, and there was also the emotional aspect to it, you know, which was quite intense, you know. And, and also the, the, the reunion, the recognition, although externally there was nothing to recognize. My father, the way I knew him, he wore glasses, you know, he was an adult male, you know, he always had this sort of smart suit on. And, and there was this young boy on, on a bicycle, you know, totally different. But, but there was a distinct recognition. That's the point. I'm just going to admit Cyrus has just jumped online. So okay. that went so quickly uh, talking to you. There he is. <laughs> Hi, Cyrus. <laughs> he has to, I will just wait to get, get his, um, mm. he's in the Philippines at the moment, to get his audio oh, right. working. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so when you were in your astral form and you witnessed your father as a 10-year-old boy in Russia, mm. you could see him. How did you see him? You were standing, what, on the grass next to him like a ghostly figure or? No, they, I, I could actually see the whole physical, um, the whole physical world. You know, I, I could, not only could I see the whole physical world, the farmyard, I also saw his, um, his brother a little bit further away. I recognized that his brother was actually his, his father when he was alive on earth. Right, so yeah. not, not only did I have the physical uh, perception, but I also had another additional perception of uh, the relationships. And as I was looking at the physical side of it, I was also aware that his mother was in the kitchen of the house. Although, so how were you looking? Well, Cyrus wouldn't know this. So welcome. Have you got your? Have you got? We got you. Oh, there you go. You're Hi, Cyrus. Hello, hello, Karen. Hello, Jurgen. Hi. Hi, Cyrus. Nice to see you finally and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> So we're just talking about um, Jürgen's experience with his dad. You've, have you read the book uh, Vistas of Infinity? Yeah. Yeah, so the part where he experiences his dad has reincarnated in a physical life and, and, and Jürgen's in his astral, his out-of-body experience, um, and he's witnessing this other physical life. So you were witnessing this physical life like 
uh, a person who has a near-death experience would witness would witness yeah. or, or a dead person would witness a, a physical yes. life. Uh, but how yeah. do you, does it sort of open up like a screen or is it just um, like a knowing in your mind? How, how do you witness it? Well, there's a, first of all, it's, it's just like seeing the physical world, but there's an additional component attached to it, which is a knowing, knowingness. So simultaneously you have, uh, uh, access to to a wider knowledge okay so that's how i recognized his his brother as his physical father when he was still alive my father uh, my father's parents died when he was two years old right you know? so so there was a lifelong um, desire in him to recreate a family and then yeah. when he died he was sort of ripped out of his family life so he assembled his original family in in this life so his his father who he never really got to know appeared in the form of his brother but his mother was still his mother you know so there was a new permutation of relationship but there was an uh, uh, like i just explained the, you you still relate to the person you know uh, and become recognize like I, I recognize my mother there's still this sort of feeling of, of familiarity there you know so it doesn't really matter if, if people reincarnate or not well, there's still a connection. Uh, yeah there's a continuity um uh, so when you're in your astral body as you've said you have more awareness or more do you find that as well cyrus that when you're in your astral body you have more knowing more awareness then you, you do it because okay so here's the thing so my mother has reincarnated she was she died when i was 16 and she's now an adult so i've watched her grow up but the her family around her most of them don't believe i've told her i've told them that, that you know she's mum they don't relate to her as you know they don't they don't have that recognition but they're in their physical body right so it's different when you're in your astral body Right. So um, first, I apologize if we hear too much um, construction around me. It seems like every time I do a webinar or interview, there's always construction outside of a window. <laughs> um, I would say yes. In my experiences, if I am astral projecting into the astral dimension, then there is this kind of what we would call the sixth sense becomes like a normal sense to people on that side. So, you don't just see things, you can also feel things, you can also get a sense of information, kind of like an information download when you are interacting with people. And it happens automatically, and it can happen at subtle levels. So, so we do it here to a very small extent, like if you get a bad feeling about somebody you just met. So if you... Or you do, if you're like me, you do it very, uh, you do it very with, like I, I cannot look at anybody without getting the whole story. Uh, exactly. So, yes. so, you know, this, the thing is that out-of-body experience is great, but we can actually have that awareness while in the body. That's, you know, like it's all very well talking about getting out of your body to have these experiences, but you can bring that back into the body. You can bring that sort of awareness and experience into the body as well. 
Yes, and so I guess the best way that I can describe it is here, it is an undeveloped uh, ability, but if you are in the astral dimension, then it just happens naturally. naturally. And it interferes with an interaction. It's more like you just you meet somebody and you have, a, you have a very solid idea about who and what they are, maybe up to including specific details. All this kind of comes in. I notice this happens less if I am having what I call kind of like a near-earth astral experience where I just come out of my body, I go into my house, I spy on a roommate. Right. I'm not quite so tuned in that sense, but if I have an astral experience where my consciousness merges back into my astral self who is leading a life on the astral side, it's as if at that point my mind is already preconditioned enough to have that ability very strongly. But if I pop out of my body in my bedroom and walk around the house, I don't have it quite so much. It's much more similar to how we interact right now. But uh, I think that in the astral plane, the real astral plane, we have these heightened abilities, yes. Okay, so at the beginning of your book, Jürgen, you talk mm -hmm. about your first experience where you're meditating in deep meditation mm -hmm. and then you're uh, walking along a beach Mm. And you're having this lovely experience of feeling the beauty of the bit. And you actually don't even realize you're having an out-of-body experience mm. in that moment mm. until you do. How, what happened to make you know that you were having an out-of-body experience? Like, well, the, 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 uh, the key point was that I wondered how, how I got there because <laughs> I, I couldn't remember where I parked the car, you know, because... <laughs> yeah. The beach was sort of 16 miles from where I lived. And, and then I sort of tried to think. I, I looked around and thought, there's no way I remember parking it anywhere near here. And then it gradually dawned on me that I must have an out-of-body experience. Then I did the test of, of lifting off the ground and hovering. And... And then later, a little bit later, I uh, remembered that I was actually meditating, you know. And right. my, body, my body was in the chair and there was this, I made this jump onto the Brighton Beach and, um, and, and it felt absolutely real, very, very physical. The only thing I did notice was everything was very, very luminous, very, very much enhanced. Okay, More. that was the next it, question. Yeah, it because was. Yeah, it was almost as if the physical perception is almost like a filter, which, which, you know, like frosted glass, if you like, you know. Exactly. And 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 if that falls away, your perceptions become much more vivid and much more alive. You know, I mean, I do that. I used to do that a lot, getting up at sunrise after meditation and, and walk along the beach. And you have got a heightened sense of awareness. So it wasn't, it didn't feel that unusual when it happened during an out-of-body state, you know. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's so, another very interesting phenomenon. So when you're just, jumping out of your body and, and waking up in your living room and you're looking at your body asleep on the couch or in the bed or in your bedroom. Whatever. Because you're perceiving through your astral body, I guess, I don't know how, I don't know how it works. So you're not perceiving through your physical apparatus called, called your eyes and ears and, you know, taste and touch and everything. 
you, obviously things would look different. Like you said that everything was more loose. Cause I have had this experience where, mm. where I was coming back into my body and, and, and on the way in, I look, I could see through all the walls and I mm. saw my daughter working, waking up in another room. So everything was transparent and translucent mm -hmm. as well. Um, mm -hmm. Like everything was transparent when I wasn't looking through my physical eyes. Mm -hmm. Is that what you experience as well? Or is it looking all very solid? I, I, think, uh, I think there are so many different levels of perception. You right. know? I, I, I remember when I've, in, in my student days, uh, I used to take LSD. Right. That, 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 that was a sort of... Uh, almost like a fashion at the time you had to do it if you're an art student you know <laughs> but but that was a very interesting experience where i felt i could look through the ground you know and yeah. and i thought how, how is it possible but actually utilized higher sense senses of awareness at that time you know and of course there are graduations in this kind of awareness where at at one level you may be able to look through the walls you know at, at another level, you may uh, just see, see more clearly. You can see the atoms on the ground moving. You can see there are different, different layers, if you like. Of, it's like you're putting on different glasses. Like, yes, yes. And then you can sort of put on a telescope or a microscope or just like different. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, fascinating. Fascinating. What do, you, what do you think, Cyrus? What do you think, Cyrus? Hi. Um, well, yes, I mean, I concur. I think that there was something I was about to say that came to my mind. Yes, it was about kind of natural landscapes, because I think my most vivid memories when I was having my best astral experiences roughly two years ago is natural landscapes, because you feel, you know, I can definitely relate to what Jurgen talks about in his books, almost like emerging with the environment, like you feel the grass, you feel the sky, you feel the nature, like it, you really absorb into it. And the best way to describe this, it's a, it, it's a very pleasant or adventurous sensation. Like you can be in an astral desert, a desert landscape or a forest or something like that. But here we just, we just look at it and then we can appreciate the beauty. But there it's like you feel the emotion and the rhythm of the environment so well. So some of my best memories here in this physical life are actually memories of the astral side of some of these environments because the because when you experience the full emotion and all the energy of the environment it sticks into your memory much better than if you're having a normal experience on this planet you're just looking at a pretty picture like the lovely forest the lovely ocean well that's very nice it's a lot different when you can really encompass the whole experience which you're able to do on the uh, higher planes which you can do as well here if you become more talented at becoming receptive to the energies around you i think that, that that's a skill that takes some work to develop and you know, most people don't necessarily have that but i believe on the astral side it's kind of automatic so who do you think is uh oh i just looked at the clock five 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 who do you think is orchestrating what we experience while we're in body. Uh, so you, so you, you've got your experience, Cyrus, which is different to Jürgen's experience. And I don't have any, well, I've astral traveled pl plenty of time, but I don't have any um, d deliberate, like I can't do it deliberately. I wake up every morning trying to remember where I've been at night and 
pretty much fails me most mornings. <laughs> I sometimes remember these odd dreams and sometimes I have very prophetic dreams and sometimes very vivid memories and then often not. So who's orchestrating all that? And who's orchestrating the levels of awareness that you visit too? Mm-hmm. Jürgen, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, over the last sort of few years, I come to rely on, on an aspect of awareness which um, it's not a personal identification, but, but but at the same time, it feels like my real me, you know. So very right. ma- very often, I I allow myself to to uh, this aspect to to take over and surrender to it, and it inevitably takes me to places which are relevant to me. You know, right. so so I've become to rely on it so much that I even no longer feel uh, motivated to have an out of body experience because this aspect of awareness is constantly around me. You know, it sort of tells me or, or guides me uh, what to look at, what is important. You know, so you become a bit more like like the hands and the eyes of this aspect of, of awareness, you know, and, and everything becomes more organic and more natural. And, and, and the, the conflict element of this type of awareness totally sort of dissolves, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you are in a, in a state of, of being, you know, mm-hmm. in a here and now state where, where you just move along uh, automatically, but but completely aware uh, of what is going on, and and you have got a clear clear perception of what's happening around you. You know, so I allow I allow things like that take place automatically. Yeah. Very very often, for example, before an interview like this, um, I I sometimes can set an intent mm-hmm. to have an out of body experience, so I've got, still got a fresh. Uh, experience but I didn't bother with that last time you know last night because I I knew the situation would unfold quite naturally in a way which was just right you know (laughs) so you sort of tuned into what would happen (laughs) Uh, you would as Jamie Butler would say you were doing your cheats cheat sheet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where you can tune into what's going to happen and you go, oh, okay, I, I, you know, I've got, I've got this, yeah. So that's yes. fascinating. So yeah, you're it's, it's merging more with your higher self. Mm. Is that what you're saying? Like you're sort of letting go of ego identity of Jürgen, this age, yes. this, this, and you're merging more yes. with the aspect of you that is the oversoul, the oversoul, the higher self, which is orchestrating this whole. Yes, I mean... Originally, when it first sort of uh, came into my awareness, I always referred to it as my silent companion. You know, there was an aspect of awareness which almost felt like another person walking beside me, Mm -hmm. you know. So there was already a link to this awareness and I recognized it that was very, very familiar, very close to me, you know. And I think very often when people... I talk about guardian angel basically they talk about themselves you know that yeah, themselves. Absolutely. But, but this the silent companion is actually who i really am yeah but my I, I, identification is sort of 
deviated from it and is focused on on other things. So I never really fully appreciate myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the breakthrough came when I went on a on a week long retreat in 2013 in in Scotland. When suddenly this this silent companion no longer was a separate thing, but it, I, I suddenly remembered hang on a minute, it's, it's me, that's me, that has been me all along. It was like a recall, and I suddenly think, oh, all right, you know, that's simple, you know, so I just have to be me, <laughs> you know. And then, of course, uh, things become a lot easier in life and, and simpler and nat- more natural, you know, so you, you're less conflict oriented you know you're you're more able to let things go you know because there's nothing really that can happen to you you know yeah nothing matters because nothing is matter mm, mm, nothing matters mm, yeah mm, cyrus have you had that experience you look like you're reading what are you reading (laughs) reading the screen um (laughs) i have that experience i mean Interestingly, like, I suppose I'm coming at this from a slightly different angle, maybe a less developed angle. Um, but when I have an astral experience, I, I do believe to an extent it is self-generated or the, rather the experience happens as a result of my own intention, mm-hmm. which, you know, is kind of what Jürgen is saying as well, because in his sense, it's being directed by his higher self, but higher self is still self. So maybe I just have less of a connection to the quote-unquote higher self, or maybe I have a very nice connection to it, and that's why I don't notice it, because I already am operating in that way. I don't know. But when I have an astral experience, what tends to happen is it occurs because I set the intention uh, the night before. So a lot of times I just want to sleep. And sometimes I'll have like very unusual dreams, which are usually a signal that an astral experience could have happened that night had I set attention. So if I have a dream that I'm around very vivid, very specific characters, and it's not, doesn't seem like it's anything that's in my imagination, then this is what I may call an astral dream. And basically I'm having experiences on that side. And once all the data, all the information comes back to my physical brain, it gets scrambled up a little bit and my brain interprets it as having been a dream. Right. If the night prior, I set the intention that I will have an astral experience, then if all goes well, then what would have normally been a kind of scrambled dream suddenly becomes a real vivid experience on that side. So very much like there's a self-directed process for me. Self-directed. And and certainly I've had experiences where I have been guided into that state by a literal other power, like like an individual who lives on that side, a quote-unquote guide, or somebody along those lines who decided, hey, I want Cyrus to see this and this tonight. And it's happened to me a couple of times, but that's not not so common. That's the exception. Most of the time it is quite quite a self-directed process, at least for me. Yeah, you, Jürgen, you said the same thing about you felt, uh, you know, <clears throat> as you kept having these experiences that it was all being guided, like you, you were being shown these vistas of infinity mm-hmm. um, and you call yourself not a teacher but a reporter. So it's like you were being guided to experience them so you could come back to this reality mm-hmm. and report 
report on yes. this, you know, what you experienced, what you saw, who was there, how you interacted. So, um, it, it, so our higher self or guides, because I, I think of my higher self as a stream of consciousness, which does not, is not, um, a singular soul as we think of, you know, our soul, but as a stream of consciousness. Cause if you, if we could imagine that we've lived many lives and mm-hmm. all those, there's the higher self is a combination of all that experience. Then there's so many different things we've experienced on so many different levels of reality that combinate in this stream of consciousness that we call our higher self. And so, um, yes. is that how you experience it? Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, there's a good, a good metaphor, the stream of consciousness, because the the stream of consciousness, or the or the sea of consciousness, sea. perhaps, mm-hmm. is, yeah, it's it's which allows us to focus on on any kind of aspect, which could be a past life, you know, past life on a different planet. It could be another person. You know, mm-hmm. we can we can, we have the ability. In the, uh, as this ocean of consciousness mm. to to tune into the individual wavelets, you know, yeah. which is all an aspect of us. But um, but uh, there's a there's a distinct uh, link um, of of the feeling of our individuality of what what is us, what makes us us. You know, the the um, particular experience of of the Jürgen aspect, which has been in action for I don't know how long, but but there's a distinct thread going through which we can which we can follow, you know, into the past and into past lives, and we will always recognize um, ourselves as 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 Jürgen, although I may have had a different name in the past life, but I'm. I'm very yeah. aware of 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 what I am, and and also in this life I experienced aspects of what I have been in a past life, which which could have been a, a quite a sort of selfish, nasty entity, you know. And this shows itself up, and you think, oh, "Where's this feeling come from? You know, what what is this all about? You know?" And sometimes I was taken back into a past life where I was. Uh, representing this aspect to its extreme, you know, right. and it's still is it, there's still a reflection of it there now in this life, and then you have to work with it. You have to uh, transmute it, or understand it, or or purify it until it's no longer a block which prevents you from from becoming uh, the awareness of the stream of consciousness. You know, to to mm-hmm. to experience your complete potential you know mm-hmm. so these things are, are very useful to to understand you know and and the, yeah the stream of consciousness of course is what we are yeah so you know that begs the question the question i have in my mind with every thing that i talk about on the show is um like why talk about out of body experiences or near death experiences how does that help us in this experience? Because that's who I'm talking to, because we're, we're in this experience. But that's what you're saying. Uh, as I read the book, you know, <clears throat> what I notice is that law of attraction is working on every level of experience, just in different uh, time frames. So a thought creates our reality in every level of experience. 
but the uh, time in which our thought creates reality is very is varied in different levels of experience. And almost playing in those realities where a thought is manifest almost instantly helps you tune up your focus in this reality, doesn't it? Because we can get so lazy because time, that buffer of time, you know, we have a negative thought and then we kind of chew on it for a while because we're right. You know, we're going to hold on to how we're right about being upset about something. And then you don't see how that manifests instantly here. Uh, and then the shit hits the fan and you go, oh, I'm a victim of this. But in fact, it's, mm. you've been chewing on sort of negative stuff for a while. So um, that's, how, that's how these experiences help us in this reality, right? So we get to yes. experience that stream of consciousness. We get to see the, our powers of creation. What would you say about that, mm. Cyrus? Is that how you feel about your experiences out of body? Well, I think what you are describing is a difference between the Earth physical plane and the astral physical plane. And it's that the more solid the realm is, that the more there is a delay or a buffer between thought and reality. But this is not to say that the astral plane is a place where you just, anything that stray thought that comes to your mind suddenly bugs, bunnies jumping out of your head and, yeah. and hop the place, you know? Um, maybe there are certain mental planes where that is in fact the case, but certainly in the astral planes that I've been to and that, that Jürgen has been to, if you think of something, it doesn't just pop up immediately. But there are, there are uh, elements that are much different than here in the sense that especially in regard to uh, our physical appearances on the astral, because I think this is what our mind is the most connected to. So right. a a being in a very negative mood will affect your physical appearance right if you feel on the inside you feel very old then sure enough on the astral plane that you will look like an older person but if you feel young at heart you feel happy you feel it bouncing around then you will manifest younger and uh people on the astral sometimes don't understand why they still look old but it, they require a little bit of the psychiatric counseling to figure out why inside they feel that way and once they fix that, their physical appearance will begin to change. So that is the difference that I see. And here we are stuck into a very slow process of, of physicality. And on the astral, it's, a, it's significantly higher, but it doesn't go away. Uh, there is still physicality. And then you can go into kind of mental planes that some esoteric lit literature talks about where literally everything you think is just happening all around you. Right. Uh, I, those aren't places that I've personally been to, so I can't really talk about those with any authority but the astral side the physicality is sped <clears throat> up in a sense from from this dimension <clears throat> it's, <clears throat> i don't know jürgen do you resonate with any of that yeah yeah absolutely i, th I think exactly you described it really well you know uh, it's not just that i i found i i made a very interesting observation when i visited artists painting you know and i described in one of the chapters they got, got so identified with their work that they started taking on the appearance of their drawing. So one person uh, looked sort of like more cubist, you know, and that was, that was a startling observation. But as soon as they became aware of me observing them, they, they instantly came back to, uh, to their normal shape. This is something I found, um, I found really interesting how, how people's emotions and, and feelings affect their appearance, you know, how they, uh, yes. how, how they can, 
and and also one thing I studied was uh, the the metamorphosis taking place. This always comes comes up in in occult literature that people shapeshifters and things like that. Now on the astral level, it's a very quick thing and can be a very instant thing that we can perform. You know, changing our um, our appearance and and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's quite a fascinating. Well, you know, like Cyrus always says that he looks like a teenager and he's like the grand old age of 32. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, but um, yeah, you talk about that, you know, this, but I actually believe that we do that here too. And, um, but we have these really strong beliefs and thought forms about age and I've indulged, you know, you hit 50 and you start saying, oh, I'm so old, you know, and we start really buying into what it's, what we're supposed to be like at 50. And, and it's just people talk about it. Oh, and you, you know, you get creaky and your limbs hurt. And this happens when you get older and when you get older and when you get old. And it's so we're marinating in these beliefs that it's kind of hard to swim out of them. But um, I just, look, I, when I first started putting my knob on camera, about three years ago, I looked older than I do today. So we can actually regress age by thinking differently, like feeling younger, like you say, feeling younger. And like Cyrus talked about and having more, I I think the thing that keeps you young is a questioning mind, you know, that sense of wonder and Mm. curiousness, like Mm. that uh, sense of, yeah what else is possible like the child the curiousness of a child who meets everything like the taste of a new you know food with like oh with this sense of wonder i think that really keeps you young what do you think boys (laughs) yeah yeah you know i I talk about this a bit in my upcoming book called the afterlife and beyond where i talk about (laughs) what i call uh, elementalism which is the ability to really enjoy an experience by meditating on the feeling that an experience a person or even an object gives you and i do believe that this is something that a lot of children do innately and people definitely forget about this as they get older and i do believe that uh like what you said i i know people who maybe it's like a little bit of my own sixth sense but like depending on their mood they physically look a lot different yeah really notice people i've known and I do think that it's an element of astral physics that are affecting the world a little bit. And it's one more thing I want to add, and this is an observation that I've had on, you know, going on to the astral side about the way that our mind affects our personal appearances and the physical environment, is that affecting our own physical appearance is very much something that is our right to do. So if we want to shapeshift like Bergen talks about, or we want to change into a different age. I mean, this is all our own business. But I find using your mind to affect the, uh, in the objective environment that is shared by other people, this is, uh, number one, it does not occur so easily. Right. And if it does occur, it may not necessarily be something that people will want you to do. Say I that again? Heard, that who wants you to do? People necessarily will want you to do. I have heard it referred a bit as practicing magic in the right. sense that decide you know, I'm going to go take that tree and turn it into a donut or whatever it might be. If you want, if you want to really affect and shape the objective environment shared by other people, you may literally find yourself getting in trouble because 
well, number one, it's not very easy to do, but if we're able to do that, you don't necessarily have the right to go somebody's backyard and, and, and mess it up. So there is an interesting <clears throat> political that we uh, affect the environment with our minds in these um, higher density dimensions. So. Yes, that's interesting because I actually made a test uh, with my daughter. She, for a period, she uh, had out-of-body experiences. And I tried to go into um, consensus environment and see, to try out to see how far I could change things, you know. And I've, I did find that although I was affecting temporarily the environment, very soon when my attention drifted, it changed back to how it was before. And I think it, it reverted back to an inbuilt uh, memory of the consensus perception of the people who created, co-created the environment. This is an so astral I, I asked my daughter... Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So I asked my daughter to, to test it. So in one out-of-body experience, she said she found a fountain and there was a figurine and she changed it into another figurine. But as soon as she stopped focusing on it, it, it changed back into what it was before. So we have got a limited power of affecting our environment, but the energy of the consensus of other people and what they're used to in, in the astral city, for example, the, the program is so strong that it will sort of maintain, maintain the place the way it was. Okay, well, as I said before, <laughs> so that, would, that would apply to this reality as well, to, to change this reality that we live in, this third dimension <laughs> physical construct, we have to get a consensus. We have to have a consensus. Like, mm. um, you know, like what we're doing, what all the light weavers or light workers of this planet are doing are trying to shift the level of awareness and, and level of consciousness on this planet. And as more and more people bombard this world with love messages and these sorts of messages that we're putting out with the show, the consensus, you know, is shifting. Like the consensus was nothing happens when you die. <clears throat> And yet there's so many people having these sorts of conversations and near-death experiences and um, that the consensus is shifting. So when the consensus agrees, we will have a different reality, right? Here? Is that? Yeah. I think, I think, I think what, is, what is so powerful is when, for example, like Cyrus coming onto the show. During the past conversation, what I found the most important thing is the level of agreement you know and also I'm, I'm very keen of course we are in different countries you know but we both know rain you know we both know cities and so on although they may appear different to us but there's a consensus on the generality of that an afterlife not only exists but it's a it has a consistency and a reality which is uh, which applies to everybody and the more people come out and report their experiences and that's why why i was so keen to to be a reporter you know mm -hmm. to report it so that other people can read it and and can say oh yes that's exactly how i experienced it you know yeah. <clears throat> and and every so often on on the astral travel forums 
I, I sent out uh, an experience and then people will say, oh yes, this happened to me too. So we find these are not made up things in our mind or fantasy. And this consensus we built up amongst us will, is in a way a kind of scientific uh, confirmation that other realities exist, you know. Exactly. This is a very valuable, important aspect of it. Have you got and, to go? Sorry. No. I want to just jump in from, and right, ask right, right. before my thought disappeared, which okay. was that on the topic of consensus and in in, in <clears throat> of being able to modify the environment when you're in an astral condition, I actually believe that there are two factors from what I've been told, uh, in addition to what Jürgen said. So, so the one factor is the consensus of the people in the environment, which will keep the statue from becoming a magazine or whatever you want to change it into. Uh, but the second factor is really the consensus created by the, the natural environment, because a, a natural environment, like anything, is also conscious. Mm-hmm. And on the astral side, there is an abundance of nature. So mm-hmm. if you walk into a forest and you cannot change the stream, be made of bubble gum. But it's not necessarily that the, the <clears throat> image promote piece of forest you know it may not have people there affecting and changing the consensus of that forest but it's held in place by the consciousness or the thoughts of that of that nature environment so um, there's those there's those two different elements so yes you can you can go into a a place of nature but it's not going to be (coughs) modified so easily either even if there's not people around it Yes, right. that, yeah. that makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. This so the point. consensus of the consciousness of the natural world, um, mm. yeah, that, that they, those beings, because they are beings, they are souls, I suppose, be it plant life or whatever, animals, mm. they have their own consensus. But again, mm. um, once the consensus meets a critical mass, then everything shifts, right? So this is what's kind of frustrating to people that have been talking about out-of-body experiences and life after death and different, you know, like all this whole conversation, spiritual conversation, to the consensus of the sceptical mind that says, ah, that's a whole lot of hooey. Once enough people have this agreement that this is a reality, the consciousness, this critical mass shifts. And what's really crazy is that these people who didn't believe it in one minute all of a sudden start believing it as their truth. And then when you Mm. say to them, but yesterday you didn't believe, they say, I never not believed. Mm. (laughs) They kind of don't remember. It's like that doesn't exist anymore. It's like you shift Mm. timelines or it's, Mm. you know, like it's like you edit, edit the timeline. Have you found? Yes, it's, well, it's like when the, when they discovered that the earth was a sphere, you know. Right. Suddenly, everybody found, yeah, it's obvious, it's logical. You know? Yeah, I always it couldn't be it anything was. else. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And they suddenly dismiss the idea that they they at one point thought it was flat, you yeah. know, because it's just such overwhelming evidence now that it right. becomes uh, uh, the the reality of it becomes established in the consciousness. Of you know, which is basically we are all part of. You know, it just as you said, it has the the tipping point. You know, the where where it becomes uh, accepted, and I think that's what is happening by mm. uh, people getting together and saying, "Yeah, this is how it is. It's quite natural." You know, yeah. gradually. 
it shifts and, and people will accept it eventually. Exactly, exactly. So um, we've been going for about an hour and a half, um, I think. Have you two got anything that you'd like to share with each other? Because I, I don't think you've had a public <clears throat> conversation before, have you? No. We, we, we did do. a joint presentation at the Afterlife Symposium in yes. 2000, but we were still uh, going in separate directions because uh, it was... Uh, I believe I spoke and then Jürgen spoke on a projector. Uh, so we, we do talk quite a bit on different forums. And uh, as for things to share at the moment, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to uh, think about that. Jürgen, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think what is really valuable for me, <clears throat> talking to fellow astral travelers, you know, and then some stuff you come out with, that gets me thinking and, and trying to remembering and digging in and, and find there's a sort of consensus. And it also inspires me to go down another route, you know, and, and follow up on what you have been saying. And so and I, I, I think that's really, really valuable to have, uh, to, to have a discussion with people, you know, and also to, to find out the different perspectives, different viewpoints in terms of where the other person is viewing it from you know and that's really important because we have got to continuously expand our understanding you know and not become sort of precious about our own uh, view you know and mm. that's what i find really important to actually exchange uh, observations with other people really mm. There is a surprising amount of, um, again, to use the word consensus, uh, consensus <clears throat> on the astral travel Facebook groups in particular. And I, it's interesting because there, there's, yeah, there's not a lot of like disagreement about people's experiences. So sometimes you'll hear about people's experiences where you might have to take a step back and think, well, maybe this was more like a lucid dream or an inner world, not necessarily <clears throat> astral experience. But very often people will report very similar things, even up until the point where I have seen uh, one person who was actually in a, a my group, Afterlife Topics, recall going to uh, a same location I had been to, Astrally, which is a hotel on the Astral Earth side, which is a zero gravity. And so you can go in and then you get your key and they say, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go inside this area and all the gravity is going to disappear and you can float up the levels of the hotel and go to your room on this on the eighth floor and, and float around and fly around and have fun and so a woman in my group had actually recalled the exact same place that she had been to as well it appears to be a bit of a, a tourist attraction for people on that side and uh, so wow. discover a lot of very interesting things like that and uh well one uh, thing I wanted to talk about with Jürgen was the sexy clock, which was in a place that was like a tourist attraction. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yeah. You went to a, a like, that, that's what you're talking about, Cyrus, like an astral realm, which is like a vacation where you can go and play. Is that what you're saying? It's like... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would say that it is literally a hotel that is in a part of the astral geography of the astral earth. So it could be in California, it could be out of nowhere. Because my discovery is that the astral Earth is a copy of this planet with the same geographic locations, but of course it's you know it's quite a bit different from this from this realm. But there is places which are essentially the counterparts to this world. So I don't have like where this hotel was located, but 
to other hotels and other locations that I can I can say is on um, Venice Boulevard in Los Angeles, except it's not ours, it's the flip side. So, um, you know, and I think that people who cross over, they want to have a lot of exciting experiences as they recover their memories of life on that side. And so I've been to quite a few of these. One of the most predominant tourist attractions is actually related to Harry Potter types of things, which is very big in London. No, not, not this London, but Astral London. They recreate Hogwarts and they have like magic schools where you can go and cast real magic and real spells. They give you a wand and, you know, you can, you know, I don't remember all the Harry Potter magic words like Expelliarmus or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. You can learn to actually do all that with <clears throat> a little magic school setting. And that's just an example. The thing, on, the thing is, on the, on the astral side, there was an abundance of pop culture. So just about everything you think of that people like here, they're at a, doing it you know, on an unimaginable scale on that side, whether it's their favorite video games or TV shows or movies, whatever you can think of. They're recreating it. They're role-playing it. They're making theme parks all the stuff you can think of. Okay, so this is explaining something that I read when I was in my 20s in the Seth books, and that was that every thought becomes a reality, <laughs> at which I threw the book on the other side of the room because I couldn't understand how that was true. But, you know, it's not a reality in this realm, but it becomes a reality in some other realm. And Esther Hicks has spoken about this in the teachings of Abraham too, that when we imagine we create these other realms like or we're drawing from those other realms or maybe we're creating those other realms like she said something like steven spielberg has created many amazing non-physical realms because of all the mm. creativity he does you know directs and stuff yes and the people who see it and, and you know who see these films they contribute to it to make yeah, it more like mm. Avatar too, you know, like mm. there's so much. So there is a place, you know, that's like Avatar. Like you're saying, Cyrus, there's a place <laughs> like Hogwarts. So there would be a, a world, a realm where you could go and have the Avatar experience, like the movie Avatar, right? There would yeah, be you, yeah, I think, you know, there's, if, if there's a large fan base around, the, around media, then you can believe that there is most likely a sub-realm being created to copy that place. Right. And I think, I think it really varies because like the magic school I went to in London, it wasn't like it was a sub plane that you have to enter into. It's more like it's a building on the street and you can walk into it. But I think if you want to take it a step further and actually create the world, I think there are places where people can then access that. And maybe it even begins with a physical location. Like perhaps in London, there's a place people go to and they sit down on a chair and maybe they can like, like immerse themselves <laughs> Um, the plane that they've created that is the Harry Potter world or maybe there's just a building or like a like a recreation of Hogwarts like the castle and then like the inside is is perfectly matching how it is in the film and then the people who go in there they're helping create that reality but I do think there's a little bit of organization to it because they wouldn't want somebody going into the Hogwarts that they made and they want to just mess the whole place up you know they don't, they don't want like an internet troll equivalent to come in and and kind of changing it around where we don't want, you know, maybe we don't want to see a Terminator walking around Hogwarts, you know, you know, well, we, we, to uh, keep it strictly the way it's supposed to be. So I do think there's also almost like an organizational or membership component to it as well. But that's just, that's, that's just kind of, 
theory based on what I've seen. So if our collective imagination is creating these other realms, then, through, you know, especially through movies and stuff, a lot of the Hollywood movies are very violent and, and sort of negatively <clears throat> creating all those sort of, like how many times has Hollywood destroyed the planet, <laughs> you know, in mm. their movies? Like the planet's doomed, the aliens have come and, you know, smashed up the planet or some tidal wave has or some disaster has created mm-hmm. the thing is, is people that- would, people would want to want to create that environment for it to be made and i think most people watch an action movie and they don't have any desire to create that world you know they watch it for entertainment value but they don't go to bed thinking wow if only i was in the world that was right. <clears throat> yeah but i'm I'm willing to bet that nobody is creating those worlds or recreating any elements of those stories on any astral environment. Okay. Um, but those summer, there's a fandom again, like Harry Potter or Avatar, or Lord of the Rings. Like you know, you can guarantee that the people are people are making astral theme parks about those places. Yes. Yeah. One 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 thing I noticed is that a lot of these uh, films, like horror films yeah. and things like that, they are actually inspired uh, by visits of people going to these sub sub levels of reality. You know, these dark realms where where the uh, uh, unconscious sort of is acting itself out. You know, and where unconscious energies are attracted to each other and they're creating their own uh, uh, subworlds, you know, which can be very, very dark places. And also there may still be places which have actually had an existence in, in physical reality, which where the energies are so strong, they're still acting out on these levels and there are these Uh, very, very dark, sinister places where people, artists, film directors may sort of dip into and then come up with an idea to make a film about, you know. There was a very interesting guy in the the, uh, early 1900s who wrote um, a series of books which was called The Ministry of Heaven. And he was, uh, I think, an automatic writer. And he was describing these sub-levels, these very lower astral levels in in great graphic detail, you know. And and the feeling I had when I read these books that he was actually uh, taking uh, the information directly from these levels, you Mm. know. And, and, And I had astral experience where I felt, yes, that this experience could, be turned into a really good horror movie. You know? <laughs> I mean, I must, I, I must jump in real quick. I think that one of the best examples of this that I've seen is the video game series. It's called Silent Hill, and it's also accompanied by a film. I recommend the first film, uh, not necessarily the second film. But Are it's they a horror. Hi- it's horror, but it's a highly accurate representation of going into lower negative astral domains. And the, the video games, especially, it's it's literally an exploration of the lower astral. But mm. through game, and it's considered one of the among the scariest video games of all time. When the games were popular when I was a kid, you know, like 15 years ago, people would challenge themselves to play it because it, it was so it was so frightening. But when you actually play the whole game through, you learn about a lot of like higher concepts as well about 
um, sort of what we may call archangels overseeing lower astral dimensions and very, very complex subjects that the game goes deeply into uh, kind of Jewish mysticism in the Kabbalah. And it also <coughs> is the nature of how lower astral domains work. And it's amazing how much like esoteric knowledge I gained for, from playing those games when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. And uh, the movie attempts to encapsulate some of that, the first movie, and I, I do recommend it. it. It does a fairly good job of it. And it's uh, worth watching if, if somebody can stomach the, you know, uh, the level of horror that, uh, that this media creates. Well, yeah, I suppose it, it's like, wait, what, you, what do you want to create in this life? Do you want to be terrified? Do you <clears throat> want to create fear or do you want to create love? It's a choice. There's no judgment. Mm. It's just an experience, but what do you want? But yeah. I know that a lot of adventurous young teenagers love that whole horror thing, you know, like take me to a scary movie and frighten the pants off me. Yeah, that'd be great fun. <laughs> I think, Karen, you want, to, you want to finish on a positive note, don't you? <laughs> Accentuate <laughs> Positive is the name of the show. But anyway, I wanted to... <laughs> I, yeah, we've got to wrap it up pretty soon. Um, I just, that sexy clock was something that... Do you want to talk about that a bit, Jürgen? Um, you went to a realm where mm. people were using art. They were creating yes. their art. And you talked about yeah. how... Do you want to talk about that? And yes, we'll... uh, basically, <clears throat> I went to a market stall and uh, uh, there was a woman who collected all these artifacts which were created and she was selling it on her market stall or giving it to people. And, uh, and there were artists who supplied her with the artifacts she was offering to the public. And they were the most curious objects, you know, and one of them was a skull which opened and the, and the clock uh, was inside. And, and it, it had moving parts and it was uh, quite organic, you know, and she liked it because it was a, a very good representation of the artist's mind, you know, and she she was uh, <clears throat> uh, sort of specializing in creating and in, in collecting works of art by different artists <clears throat> and offering it to other people. So uh, I also I also found there are lots of shops on the astral level. When I went to the uh, as the counterpart of Brighton, I found there were the lanes which we have in Brighton. They, they were full of incredibly beautiful artifacts created by artists and people, you know. And uh, you could spend hours walking around these uh, lanes and, and admire the incredible uh, creations people have. Mm. They're much more easy to, uh, to create and they're, uh, as they are, you know, here. And, and so you have got an incredible variety of, of creativity uh, on, on the next level, which is, can keep you sort of occupied for, for ages, really. Mm. And I remember you said in the book that when someone bought the artifact or took it away, whether they were using money mm -hmm. in that realm or yeah. not, um, you said something to her like, Don't, aren't you sad to see them go because they're so unique, mm. these pieces? And she said, no, no. When someone takes one away, another one instantly mm. kind of crops up or manifests to take its place or something. Yes, there's a sort of uh, matrix, uh, an energetic imprint right. you know, left in, in the fabric, in the astral fabric 
and so on. And it just needs a new focus to bring the object back into existence, you know, which is already uh, part of, there's already the blueprint. So it's only focus that is needed to make it sort of uh, appear again. Right. Mm. Absolutely. Focus is so important. And, you know, the creative part of all of this, it just demonstrates how life is a blank canvas, although we come, you know, to it with all our subconscious beliefs, but that we're painting our reality with these subconscious beliefs. And when we're aware of these beliefs, we can change them and we can paint anything we like. We can create any experience we want. We just look around the world. You know, you say that there are infinite levels of astral experiences, just like we have infinite choice on what we perceive in this life and therefore we have infinite experiences. Just look on this one world at the infinite experiences that, that are here to experience. Like think yeah. about a life, like I think of Michael Jackson, the life that he created. He not only created this sort of tumultuous, although famous life <clears throat> as a child, with all the trauma that went with his family. But then when he grew up, he created this fantasy life and he had like his, like it just seems unreal, that sort of life to the normal, I suppose, working life. But he created it. You know, we can create any experience we want in this realm as well as in those realms. So life is a canvas. Okay, I'm going to finish it on this note. Um, it's, some, it's a quote out of your book. My mother made it clear to me that death is simply an extended form of gathering valuable information and experiences and should never be seen as an end. There are new kinds of intensities in the afterlife which are largely absent on earth with greater diversification of emotions. So I guess it sounds like that it's sort of richer over there more emotion mm. would that be right yes it's uh yeah there's a deeper level uh, as, as sarah's earlier said um you have got an additional component of experience you know uh you the the knowing aspect or um not just sort of seeing it but also understanding the background or perceiving uh the the, the, the mental aspect of it, wasn't it, Cyrus? You know, you, you have got a deeper sort of perception of, of what is experienced and that makes it for a much richer life. Yeah. Ways, you know, for example, if somebody tells you a story about their life, not only do you hear what he's saying or, or see what he's saying, you actually uh, Experience. are there with him. Yeah. Know? And, and uh, you get a very, very good insight in what was his experience was all about and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a completely new game, really. Which I have noticed that you're experiencing now in your physical body. Yeah, yes, yes. Yes. So, and I guess that that's what I experience too. Like when someone tells me a story, like I do this on the show, people talk about I just go there and I'm in that experience with them. It's like you're watching television and you just get swept away, you know, and you're in that, in that time, in that life or reading a good book. You can just get, you can sort of transport yourself into that time and feel and smell and experience. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing to do. So, again, 
you've got that over there, but we can experience it here. So mm. maybe learning about these astral experiences can yes. give us a richer experience while we're in this experience. Yes, it's not that different, really. <laughs> <laughs> Cyrus, any last words, honey one? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I think that we've definitely covered all of it. I would like to say um, thank you, and I'm happy to be here and happy to have a chance to uh, talk to you, Jorgen, as well. And mm. uh, this type of topic, you know, we could probably talk about for a very long time. There's so many yes. different that can be unfolded and so many different subjects that can be spoken about. And uh, that's all I have to say, I suppose. And uh, thank you again. Mm. Thanks for jumping yes. on. Mm. Yeah, very good to see Cyrus in, in person, you know, and uh, yeah, we already have good conversations on Facebook on his page and, and uh, the afterlife investigation of uh, uh, Victor and Wendy, you know, that's a good, another good forum where we hang out. And yeah, it's great. It's great to talk to you both. And uh, thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Jürgen. It's been just amazing that we've coming up to nearly two hours now. I didn't mean for it to go so long, but I could talk to you all day. So thank you again for coming and thanks, Cyrus, for jumping on and, and sharing your wisdom as well. Thank thanks. you. Another fascinating show. Wasn't that exciting? Had the two of them on today talking about all sorts of things, astral experiences, it's infinite what we can create. It's infinite what we can, can get up to when we're in body as well as out of body. Either we're dead out of body or we're alive out of body. Anyway, we're in and out all the time, simultaneously. We're out of body every night when we sleep, as Esther Hicks from the teachings of Abraham says that, you know, basically you're dead every night. You go leave your body and fly around the universe. But do you remember? <laughs> That's the part that I find the struggle is remembering that in the morning. Where did I go? But the whole purpose of not remembering really is to keep focused here on what we're doing here. And so maybe when we're, we know what we're doing here and, you know, how we're affecting change and the shift and how we're lifting, uplifting the collective consensus, the reality of this world, and we're happy to be here and happy to do that, maybe we remember more. I don't know. Everyone's got a different mandate, different mission in this life. And uh, Jürgen and Cyrus have their experiences and we have our experiences. So it's all part of the plan, isn't it? All being orchestrated by our higher selves or oversoul or soul or whatever you want to call it. Thanks again for listening to another show, Accentuating a Positive. We had another fascinating chat when I turned off the recording, the three of us talking about different things. Jürgen was saying that he's moving more into uh, being in the background doing his work his consciousness work and not being so much of a spokesperson so I think we'll be seeing less of him on videos and he'll be more moving into his art sort of demonstrating what he knows through his art and uh, check out his art and if you want to buy the books and support the show if you go to the link in the uh, underneath which goes to my website, you'll see more about Jürgen there and all the links, all the affiliate links to the books, his books. If you want to buy his books, they're really, I'll I tell you what, Vistas into Infinity is just a fascinating book I'm reading at the moment. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So check, go to my website and uh, buy the book there and you support the show by doing that.
So thanks again for joining me and uh, see you again next week for another fascinating show, accentuating the positive, uplifting yeah, the human consciousness and this world and uh, making a difference. I know you, that everyone that watches this show is doing your part in making a difference too. So contact me if you want to learn how you can make more of a difference. Thanks again. Bye for now.